Today's reading is taken from Exodus 16, verses 11 to 18, and I'm going to be referring to an ancient Hebrew weight, uh, which is called Omer. And if you're wondering how much that is, it seems to be anything from 2.19 litres to 4.39 litres, depending on who you listen to. So um, I'm going to take a middle guess that it's about three litres. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need, take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who had gathered much did not have too much, and the one who had gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sarah. So we are continuing, as I've already mentioned, our series in the Beatitudes. And um, I've, I've so enjoyed this series that they're so familiar to us, aren't they, in, in many ways. And yet I find, and I know I'm the one kind of um, preaching on it, that when you actually come to it, you kind of think, golly, what do they actually mean? And so I, I like this phrase that Jean came up with, living right side up in an upside down world. It kind of takes some digging to find out what they mean. So the one we're looking at today is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. There's something about hunger, isn't there, that's it's kind of, I know this isn't a person, it's a dog, and obviously Joe would rescue this dog if it was in need. Um, but I, I love the look on its face, because it's just really full of temptations, isn't it? Can I? Should I? Will I get into trouble if I eat this? But hunger is such a basic reaction that all of us have. And of course, we need, it, it, it gives us life, isn't it? If we get hungry, we, we eat food, and, and then we stay alive. And I'm not actually really going to be referring very much to the Exodus passage. I'm not going to be referring it to it at all, apart from at this moment. Um, when I think we're just going to get from that the fact that the children of Israel were hungry in the desert and they were filled in a surprising way. And so there you go, you have a basic 
for this beatitude, that our hunger is going to be filled in a surprising way. And except, of course, this time, it's a hunger for righteousness. So I wonder what you think when you hear the word righteousness. Oh, it's this moment in the service where I'm just going to say, would you just like to turn to somebody next to you and just say to them, what do you think when you hear the word righteousness? And it really doesn't have to be very deep and meaningful. You can just, just say to them, what do you think of when you hear the word righteousness? Anybody brave enough to call out what they thought of? Somebody with a loud voice, otherwise I won't be able to hear you. Being right, being right oh, Jackie, being right with God. Justice. Justice, yes, good. Anything else? No? So I um, did a little uh, text message to some of my friends and just said, so what do you think of? And um, somebody came up with good, and then good with a, sm with a whiff of smugness. Oh, <laughs> Obviously, they couldn't possibly be referring to me, could they? Um, and then somebody else said, uh, it's difficult to think of righteousness without thinking of self-righteousness. I don't know what this says about my friends, but it definitely says something. Because uh, she added, there was a kind of a few ob kind of obnoxious vibes going on with the self-righteousness bit. So I think it's quite interesting, isn't it, how we come with our own interpretation. And I think that there may be something in us that thinks of righteousness as a kind of morality code, a little tick box. So if we want to be right with God or do justice, we have a little tick box. And sometimes we can tick. That's a good thing to do. And sometimes we put a cross. That's a bad thing to do. And it's all terrifically straightforward, isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> That's the end of the sermon. Um, and of course, there are some reasons for us to think that way. And we can look at the Ten Commandments, do this, don't do that. Uh, in the Old Testament, there's all sorts of laws, isn't there? So there are all kind of reasons for us to think along those lines. And I do think, too, that's why the Pharisees got in a little bit of a muddle in their lives, because they were quite keen on righteousness and being right with God. And they had all these laws, too. And so they just began to think, oh, let's have a little bit of a tick box. And um, life was quite straightforward for them. I have just learned how to write on PowerPoints. So you're going to see more of this. Uh, and Jean has promised to teach me how to put a word text in, but that's for another day. Um, sorry, to the point. Actually, you won't be surprised to know that righteousness is not a tick box. Righteousness is not really about a set of rules that you keep to or you don't keep to. We need a little bit of a reset to think about what righteousness 
looks like. And I think this, there's been a lot in the news about AI, art, artificial intelligence. And I'm just, when I was reading about it, I just thought, gosh, because of course my mind was thinking about this righteousness business, that I actually put into an AI forum um, sermon, uh, blessed are those who hunger and um, thirst for righteousness. Uh, you'll be interested to know that I'm not using that sermon for this morning. But it was quite interesting because it's pretty good. Do you know, actually, it is pretty good. But the thing is that the artificial intelligence does not know, it does not understand what it's saying, what it's pulling together. It doesn't have that relational point of view. And that is the difference with righteousness. Because righteousness is relational. It describes a relationship. And whoever it was who called out justice, uh, top marks, um, because actually it's the, the word righteousness in the Bible is, is closely related to justice. And because it's, there's something about righteousness being about the quality of a relationship between two or more people. It's never just about one person. It's about a relationship between two or more people. To act righteously is to act appropriately for the mutual flourishing and good of these two people. The link with justice means that if you have a problem, if you are in need, then that becomes my problem too because of the relationship between the two of us. And if I'm acting righteously towards you, then I will act on your behalf. And so this looks different for different people. So for example, my mother is really frail, really frail right now. And so I want her to use a stick for when she gets out of a chair and moves around her house. I want her to use a stick so that she doesn't fall down. If she were to fall down, I can assure you it would become my problem. It would be horrible for her, but it would be my problem too. That would, so I'm righteous in encouraging my mother to use a stick. It's for her flourishing and it's also for mine. When my children were little, uh, naughty two-year-olds, if we were to cross a road, I would want to hold their hand so that they and me could cross the road safely together. I wouldn't just suggest it to her. I wouldn't just say, I wouldn't say to my daughter, I think it's a really good idea if you hold my hand when we're crossing the castle road. I would grab her hand, I would make her hold my hand, no matter what her opinion was at the time, in order that both of us may cross this road at the same time. If I looked fierce and spoke crossly, I was still acting righteously because I was wanting the mutual flourishing of my daughter and me. Relate, righteousness is relational. 
It is not a tick box of just doing this or not doing that. It is relational and it is about the mutual flourishing of the people involved. Today is Trinity Sunday, as it happens. But God is relational. Within the Trinity, we have, we describe most oftenly the relationship as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Other, other um, relational descriptions are available. But God is at his very essence relational. How those three react and interact with one another is all about their love for one another, their desire for each other to be flourishing and full, to be who they are. That is the very essence of God. So he doesn't, God isn't acting in a vacuum. There is this dance of relationship between them. And he relates to all that he has created. Psalm 36 says, Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your justice like the great deep. You preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O Lord. God is faithful to his creation. I am not a scientist, so this part is going to be very short. But I do know that there's something about the earth that is extremely stable. The sun rises every morning, and in the evening it sets. That is the righteousness of God revealing itself in the stability of the world. If I was to throw this jigger up in the air, gravity would bring it back down. There's something about this, the way this world works in the world of science that displays the righteousness of God in his faithfulness to this earth. And, of course, he displays his righteousness to us. He is always looking out for us. In the Genesis narrative at the very beginning, where it says that God created man, he thought, hmm, this is not good for this person to be on their own. They need someone else. The problem of that single human being became God's problem, and he created a woman. Later on, we know the narrative when Adam and Eve betrayed the trust of God by seeking to do their own thing. God looked out for them. And we have those haunting words, Adam, where are you? Adam's problem of rebellion, Adam and Eve's problem of rebellion, became God's problem. Adam, where are you? And God chased after them. And you, you, you maybe know the narrative. He, he, um, he gave them uh, fur coats to wear. And um, I'm sure that's not quite right, what I, what I mean to say. But you know what I mean. God, he, he looked after them. And the rest of the, of the biblical text is God 
looking after humankind. And of course, the ultimate revelation of God's righteousness to us. Paul writes it like this, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. God saw humankind in this never-ending circle of brokenness and distortion of a life that was meant to reflect his image, and indeed does sometimes, but in such a broken, distorted way. He sent Jesus. The problem of humankind and its brokenness became God's problem, and he sent Jesus. And Jesus lived this life. He worked so for the reconciliation, not only of us to, to God, but also with the Holy Spirit. He gave us the power to be reconciled with one another. He showed us the way of living in righteousness. And so it is with us. We are created to be the image bearer of God. And therefore it is part of our identity that we live right with God and with one another. Any righteousness that we have been given through Jesus, by Jesus, is there to, to alter and affect our relationships with one another. In Micah, this is quite a famous verse, but Micah's a prophet and he says this, he has told you, O man, what is good? This is the key question. What is the meaning of life? What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? That is not a tick box. That is not a morality code that is to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. In Job, where he's discussing with his friends why his life is in such a mess, <laughs> he says this, I put on righteousness as my cloth, Justice was my robe and my turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. I took up the case of the stranger. And I love this bit. I broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched the victims from their teeth. In Job's defense of his life, he is saying, I put on righteousness and this is what it looked like. I looked out for the people who were in need. I looked out for the people who needed help. My righteousness was tied up in my relationship with others. And I fought for justice when I broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched the victims from their teeth. I was looking after those who were in need. Their problems became my problems, said Job. And in Luke 14, Jesus uh, says this little parable that you uh, may remember, that if you're going to throw a party, who are you going to invite? 
you're just going to invite your friends, your neighbours, people you like, people who are perfectly capable of saying, oh, thank you so much for a lovely evening. You must come round to my house. And you say, oh, thank you very much indeed. And you, it's all very mutual. But Jesus says, no. Invite the people to your house who will never be able to repay you. Invite the poor. Invite the needy. Invite the orphan. Invite the immigrant. And then you will be blessed. So our righteousness is less about this moral checklist. And I just want to put a little caveat here. Please don't think that I'm saying it doesn't matter what you do, because obviously it does. My point of this sermon is saying that righteousness is first and foremost relational. And anything else we do comes out of that relationship. But it does mean that other people's problems become ours. That's what happened, that's what we have with God and Jesus. That is the example we can follow, we are called to follow. I don't know how that makes you feel. Me? Daunted. Totally daunted. Um, as it happens, standing at the front on my own and looking at this sea of faces, which is beautiful. If all of your problems were my problems, I think I might just die. It's just, you know, we can't cope with it, can we? In, with, with the news and the social media, all of the problems, it, it's just relentless. How does this work? How does this work? I don't have the answer. That kind of question needs to be, I think, spoken about at home, spoken about with your friends, spoken about with your home group, with people who are of like-minded to thrash this out. Because there is nothing straightforward about making other people's problems our own. Look where it got Jesus. We need to know, don't we, what to do and how to act. We can't just take it all on board, otherwise we will just be crushed. It takes humility, though. It takes forgiveness to see what other people are going through and how they are reacting and what our response to that may be. We need help with that. And I guess that's why we have the Holy Spirit. Because wouldn't life be so much more simple if indeed righteousness was a checklist? If we could just tick or cross and know exactly where we are. But that's not our God. And that's not the life to which we have been called it's complicated, it's messy, but what does it lead to? Jesus is saying here, it leads to being filled. And I think there's a real link here with the other Beatitudes that we've looked at, the kingdom of God, the, to inherit the land. 
If we are able to display this righteousness in towards others, then there's something that we are living most fully the people we are meant to be. We will be filled. That gut primal desire inside of us that Jesus is kind of equating to being hungry, he's saying, you will be filled. Life is good. John often says this, doesn't he? Life is good, but with Jesus, it's even better. And I think there's something about that in this beatitude. Lots of people can do good things and look out for one another. But there's something about Jesus and following him and really grappling with what it means in humility and forgiveness that somehow we are enlarged so that we become the people we are called to be. So, are you hungry? Is there something inside of you that is niggling away for the meaning of life? For walking this life a little bit more fully than you are at the moment? Are you hungry? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The promise of Jesus, for we will be filled. So this is indeed an upside-down way of living. The kingdom of God is different to the way that we live, the way that the world teaches us. What is satisfaction? What is righteousness? Maybe look after yourself first and then look after others. That, there's echoes of truth in that. That could be an AI thing. There's, there's, we do need to look after ourselves. But actually, righteousness is always a relationship. It's always looking out for others. It's living life the right way up in an upside-down world. Michelle is going to come now and lead us in our prayers and responses.